Imagine you're packing your bag in the morning as you head to your exam. Hmm, that didn't feel right. Let's do that again. You take everything out of your bag and try again. That's not quite it either. You dump it all out and do it again and again and again. You look at the time and it's been half an hour now. You tell yourself this is ridiculous. You're going to be late for your exam. But you can't shake the feeling that if you don't get this right, there's going to be consequences. If you don't do it again, you're going to fail your exam. The thought of not getting it right makes you sick to your stomach. Your brain tells you that if you just get this right, you'll feel so much better, so you try again. And again. That was just a glimpse into what it might feel like to have Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, or OCD. You may have heard of OCD before, maybe you've seen it on TV, or seen someone refer to themselves as so OCD. But what is OCD exactly? In part one of this two-part series on OCD, we'll explore what it means to have this disorder, clear up some common misconceptions, and learn about the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on OCD patients. To help us understand OCD better, our special guest today is Dr. Mark Watling. Thanks for having me. My name is Mark Watling and I'm a psychiatrist and uh, currently I work uh, in London, Ontario, and I do mostly outpatient work. So I see patients who have anxiety disorders and I see patients who have obsessive compulsive disorder. And I've been doing this job for about 20 years or so. Before we can really explore OCD, first we need to unpack what it really means. Obsessive compulsive disorder is a psychiatric illness characterized by the presence of obsessions, compulsions, or both. Obsessions are unwanted, intrusive thoughts that recur in your head despite your efforts to suppress it. You may have disturbing images of yourself murdering a loved one. Or maybe you have an intense fear of contamination or being poisoned. Other common obsessions might include fears of doing something embarrassing, a need to get something to feel right, or disturbing religious or sexual imagery. In response to these obsessions, people with OCD experience compulsions to perform certain acts or rituals. Maybe it's washing your hands to prevent contamination, or checking the door to make sure it's locked. Sounds straightforward, right? But to meet the diagnostic criteria for OCD, these compulsions need to be excessive or unrealistic. It's not washing your hands or checking the door once, but it's 20 or 30 times. Or before you go to bed, you need to say a specific prayer in a specific way a specific number of times, or all your loved ones will die. To put it simply, OCD by definition needs to be distressing, time-consuming, and negatively impact your ability to function. When we talk to our patients about, you know, OCD and other anxiety disorders, when we talk about this, we, all, we often talk about OCD as being a bit of a hostage taker, because that's, that's kind of what it does. It, it holds you hostage, and then it kind of feeds lies to you. Like it says, well, if you just do this check one more time, then you'll be free. But in fact, you won't be free. You'll just be deeper into OCD. So it, it keeps you hostage. It feeds you lies. It pretends it's going to let you go if you just do what it wants you to do. So you do what it wants you to do, and it doesn't let you go. It just keeps you stuck even harder, right? So it's a really, really tricky um, disorder to, to try to deal with because in treating it, you almost have to start to do the opposite of what OCD is telling you to do. And in order to do that, you need to have a lot of faith that taking that risk is going to actually pay off in the long term because in the short term, it feels really horrible to not do what OCD wants you to do. So if OCD is so distressing and debilitating, 
Why are people so happily misdiagnosing themselves with OCD? We've all seen or heard of someone boast about how clean and organized they are and tell you that it's just my OCD. <laughs> but it would be less socially acceptable to use a different illness like cancer in a similar manner. Why did calling yourself OCD become trendy? And when did it become an adjective? Part of the reason might be from the way OCD is misportrayed in popular culture. I, I do have patients who bring this up sometimes that they actually get a little frustrated um, when OCD is misportrayed in popular culture, in movies uh, or TV shows, that kind of thing. Um, and, and one of the things that I hear a lot from my patients is that they get frustrated when it's kind of misportrayed as often through the perfectionistic lens. So often, you know, if somebody's a little perfectionistic or they have a very specific way of doing things or they like to kind of arrange their books in alphabetical order or they like to arrange their clothing by color, then often they kind of just do a little joke, right? Like, oh, that's my OCD. Depending on what you grew up watching, you might have been exposed to different portrayals of pop culture OCD. A classic example is Monica from one of the highest rated sitcoms of all time, Friends. In the show, Monica's preference for strict rules and keeping things incredibly clean is frequently played up for the sake of humor. Like when we learn that she numbers her cups to keep track of them, or when we see her vacuuming her big vacuums with a little vacuum to clean them. Another well-known example is Sheldon from another popular sitcom, The Big Bang Theory. Sheldon's fear of germs is on display as the main character of the show, from refusing to drink from the same glass as his friend, or asking someone to come with him to a public washroom so he won't have to touch anything. What makes this example even more egregious compared to Monica is that the characters in the show describe Sheldon's behaviors as OCD. And the difficulty is people that really do have severe obsessive compulsive disorder. Severe OCD takes up hours of your time a day. It's not just a little quirk or a little, you know, a, or, or something kind of original and unique about you. It's a disorder that is disabling, that takes up hours a day and really, really negatively affects your life in huge ways. That's the difficulty is that when it's portrayed as, oh, I'm a little bit perfectionistic, or I like to have my books lined up in a certain way, or I like to be neat and clean, um, I, I think that that misses the point of how incredibly disabling this illness can be for people who really have obsessive compulsive disorder. Of course, behind every good lie is a grain of truth. Someone with true OCD with an obsessive fear of contamination can have compulsions of excessive cleaning like Monica or avoid public washrooms like Sheldon. They could also have obsessions about order and need things to be a certain way. But what's missing is that Monica and Sheldon aren't distressed by their preferences. Rather, the cleaning and the organizing makes them happy. In psychiatry, this is referred to as egocentonic. Their feelings, values, and their behavior is in sync with their self, or ego. As opposed to egodystonic, which is the opposite and the case with OCD. What these characters might have is OCPD, or obsessive compulsive personality disorder associated traits, which is defined by perfectionism, inflexibility, and control. When you muddle the definition of OCD like that while taking away the suffering and loss of function that comes with OCD, these traits seem quirky and relatable, resulting in people happily referring to themselves as OCD. 
lots of people have lots of traits of these disorders. And certainly when we're talking about anxiety related disorders and OCD kind of falls in that category of, of anxiety related disorders um, that kind of everybody knows what it's like to struggle with some degree of anxiety from time to time, um, which is neat because I might give you a little bit of insight into what it might be like to have a real true blue anxiety disorder or a real true blue problem with OCD, for example. But at the same time, I think, I think if you kind of get those two things confused, so if you just kind of say, oh, I know what it's like to have OCD because I have a little bit of anxiety, right? That can be a problem because you might not know what it's like to actually have OCD that takes up hours a day and keeps you from having a job and keeps you from having relationships and keeps you stuck in your room for you know weeks at a time. Um, the other cool thing about OCD is that, and you kind of raised the issue is that, um, you know, the average person also has obsessions. So about 80% of people occasionally get unwanted intrusive thoughts about something. The average person occasionally thinks about, you know, their hands being dirty or occasionally thinks, oh, is the stove off or did I lock the door? Like, those are all thoughts that the average person has sometimes. It's just that when you have OCD, it just takes it to a whole other level that makes it impossible for you to break away from that thought. So you get stuck in it. You get caught up in a compulsion that's attached to it. Um, and it really feels like you don't have choice anymore in what, in what you're doing. So you get stuck in a checking compulsion or you get stuck in a cleaning compulsion that you really don't want to be stuck in, but you really can't break away from it. Going beyond the world of television, some people may have heard about OCD incorrectly through their favorite celebrities. If you've heard of Khloe Kardashian, you might have heard her talk about her OCD as a blessing, saying that it helps keep her organized and tidy. She also commercialized her OCD, launching a video series on organization tips under the branding CD. It's not all a lost cause for pop culture though. Dr. Kevin Casey from the hospital setting sitcom Scrubs has earned some recognition in the OCD community for his accurate portrayal of OCD. Although we only see the character in two episodes, we're shown that he needs to walk through the doorway exactly three times when entering or exiting a building. He also enters patients' rooms and touches every object in the room while saying bink repeatedly. Among other numerous examples of his OCD traits, the most memorable is a scene where he is found visibly frustrated, still washing his hands two hours after a surgery. At the end of the scene, as the camera pans away, Dr. Casey stands in the doorway, flicking the lights on and off unable to leave the room. This is one of the ways we can see a silver lining behind the prevalence of OCD in pop culture. Through pop culture, there has been a huge rise in societal awareness of OCD. It also encouraged celebrities with true OCD to speak publicly about their struggles with the illness like the author John Green or Suga from BTS. The first person to pop into mind, and it might speak to my age a little bit, is Howie Mandel. Now, I don't know whether the people who are going to be listening to this even know who Howie Mandel is, but you know, he's a Canadian comedian who is, I think he's best known now for being a host of America's Got Talent. Um, but he's had lots, you know, he's been on, he's been on TV since uh, probably the early 80s, I think. Um, but I think he's one of the more outspoken people about his OCD, and he... And he really, I've heard him, um, you know, speak about it. I think he's mostly concerned about germs, certain contamination. I know he's got a book out there about his OCD. So he's very open and public about it. I think that his speaking about it has probably done some good because it sounds like he really does have 
true blue obsessive compulsive disorder. I think the difficulty is, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier, that also some celebrities will say that they have OCD, but then when you actually look at what they describe, they don't. They have a little bit of perfectionism or they have some of those, that obsessive compulsive personality stuff that we talked about a little bit earlier rather than obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, so I think it can go both ways. People like Howie Mandel, who clearly have OCD, who speak out about it and are quite public about it. And I think he's even made the comment that if it wasn't for medication, he would be severely impaired and probably wouldn't be able to do his job, right? So he's kind of an advocate for getting diagnosed, getting treated, following a treatment regimen, which is really going to be helpful to, for other people to listen to. Unfortunately, like many other mental illnesses, OCD is often left undiagnosed, leading to a long duration of untreated illness, or DUI for short. The DUI is a concept in medicine that looks at how much time a patient suffers from an illness before it's managed with medications. In the world of psychiatry, this is an important concept that can be used to study the relevant impacts on patients, caregivers, and society. Some studies define two years as the threshold for a long DUI, Meanwhile, OCD was found to have an average DUI of 3 to 8 years as of 2019. But why is this the case? I think there's a couple of things that are happening. One thing is that people who have OCD might not know what they have. Like they might not even recognize it as being, um, as knowing what it is. And they might not kind of even know that it's something you could talk to a doctor about. Um, and I think sometimes for some people, their OCD comes on so insidiously that, you know, it can start off very slowly and, and build over time. So initially, it might not be interfering in your life. It not, might not be causing significant distress. You might just do a few little compulsions that aren't actually taking up a lot of time. But for some people, that will grow over time to the point that eventually, you know, it's become an illness that really is interfering in their day-to-day -day life. But it happens so gradually and we know when things happen gradually like that, sometimes you're just not quite as aware of how entrenched you are in the, in the behaviors. So I think that's part of the problem is that some people might even have problems recognizing that they have a problem. So I think there's a delay in even seeking help. The way OCD presents can also come with a lot of shame and embarrassment for the patient, especially given the nature of some of the intrusive thoughts. It can be hard to come forward and tell someone that they're having thoughts of murdering their family or running people over in their car if they're not familiar with how OCD works. They may try to push these thoughts away at first, but people with OCD have shared that over time they begin to believe that they must be a terrible person. It takes a lot of courage to share these experiences and seek help. And then the other problem that happens is that if a person does seek help, then they often come up against physicians or other specialists who don't really know enough about OCD to know what they're seeing when somebody presents with symptoms of OCD. Part of the difficulty there is this, is that OCD looks so, can look very different in different people because it's got a whole range of symptoms, right? Somebody can have OCD that's all about germs, dirt, contamination, and have excessive cleaning rituals and somebody else doesn't have any of that. They have OCD that's all about symmetry, exactness, precision, and making sure things look and feel even perfect and level. And then somebody else doesn't have any of that. Somebody else gets stuck in doorways because to walk through a doorway the wrong way feels so bad or so wrong that they have to just kind of repeat walking through a doorway until they get a right feeling, right? So there's, there's OCD looks so different in so many different people that there's not one snapshot that says, oh yeah, this is OCD. 
In a study of 208 primary care physicians conducted between 2012 and 2013, primary care physicians in New York were presented with a mock OCD case vignette and asked for their opinions on diagnosis and management. Each physician was given one of eight vignettes that focused on different manifestations of OCD. Obsessions of aggression, contamination, a fear of saying inappropriate things, homosexuality, pedophilia, religion, somatic concerns, or symmetry. Overall, just over 50% of physicians diagnosed their vignette incorrectly, with results varying heavily based on vignette type. The most incorrectly diagnosed vignette types were homosexuality at 84.6% and aggression at 80%, while the symmetry-based vignette was misdiagnosed only 3.7% of the time. The results of this study show that even among physicians, there's a stereotypical impression of how OCD looks, leaving less common presentations undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. So I think when a clinician is learning about what OCD is and learning about how to identify it when a patient shows up, it's really tough to kind of teach clinicians because it looks, it looks so different. And sometimes it, can, sometimes it can look, you know, sometimes it can even look psychotic. Like it can look like a person's lost touch with reality. And often when you see people with OCD, that's, they'll talk about these two parts of their brain. They'll say, listen, there's the logical part of my brain that knows what's real and knows that the stove is off or knows that the door is locked or knows that my hands aren't dirty or whatever. But then there's this OCD part of my brain that just feeds me lies and convinces me that stuff is true that really isn't true. Like I get almost convinced that the door might still be unlocked or I get convinced that maybe I'd have picked up something on my hands that are going to, that is going to cause an illness. And, and I think sometimes if a clinician sees that they might misdiagnose it, right? They might say, Oh, well, this is a psychotic illness. You've lost touch with reality. So this should be treated, you know, as if it's something like schizophrenia or something along those lines. And in fact, this is what we see in the study we discussed earlier. When OCD was misdiagnosed based on the vignette, the physicians were more likely to incorrectly prescribe antipsychotic medications and less likely to prescribe appropriate first-line treatments for OCD, which we'll discuss in the second part of this series. So I think those are some of the hurdles that we have to overcome. What do I think will help is just kind of more education around this. You know, at medical school at Western, I do, I, I do a lot of educating of the first, second year medical students, third year medical students, residents, uh, family doctors, right? Um, so I think it's important to talk to people who aren't necessarily even going to be psychiatrists, right? So if you happen to become a surgeon, it wouldn't be nice for you to know what OCD looks like so that if you have a patient who is presenting with some OCD symptoms after their surgery, you might be able to say, listen, you know what? I think you might have OCD and maybe you need to talk to your family doctor about it. So I, I think it doesn't matter who we educate. Every If everybody kind of is able to at least know what OCD might look like. And then you're able to pick it up when you see it in patients. That's gonna get patients to help uh, that they need much more quickly. So why is there so much variation in how OCD presents? Why do we group someone flicking their lights on and off and someone who has intrusive thoughts of murder under the same mental illness? To understand why, first we need to look at how OCD might work. Based on what we know so far from neurological studies on OCD, certain structures of the brain are structurally and functionally impaired in OCD patients due to dysfunction of a neurotransmitter called serotonin. 
Most notably, this includes the orbitofrontal cortex, which is responsible for reward-based decision-making, the basal ganglia, which is responsible for planning physical actions, and the amygdala, which is involved in feelings of fear and anxiety. When these structures, among others, aren't functioning properly, we may have repetitive movements or behaviors that inappropriately trigger a temporary reduction in anxiety as a reward. Therefore, the way someone's OCD presents is based on that person's anxieties, and this is not only different between people, but also changes throughout life. For example, a child with OCD might have obsessive fears of their parents dying, but as they mature, they may have intrusive thoughts with sexual themes. Similarly, culture can also play a role in how OCD presents. OCD is really hugely a genetic illness, and it is clearly a brain illness. There's no doubt about it, right? That, it, it, that OCD has been mapped to very certain areas of your brain. Um, but given that you may have a, uh, a risk of developing OCD, then I think that your culture might dictate what direction your OCD might go in. So if you are in a culture that really prizes things like cleanliness and orderliness, then it might be more likely that your OCD would manifest in that direction. Certainly, I've seen patients that come from very religious backgrounds, for example, and their OCD kind of manifests different tenets of their own religion, right? That their religion, certain things that their religion holds to be very valuable, that's kind of the direction that their OCD will manifest as well. Um, so I do certainly think that kind of your belief system, your culture, what you view as being valuable and important to you um, may certainly have some impact on what the presentation of your OCD is. But at the very, you know, underlying all of that is really this brain illness that is driven by your genetic that is going to determine whether you have OCD. There's limited research that's been conducted on comparing OCD in different parts of the world, but the current consensus is that the prevalence of OCD is generally consistent around the world. However, as we were alluding to, there were some differences noted between cultures when looking at how OCD manifested. For example, when comparing Belgian OCD patients with Turkish patients, the Belgian patients had more bad self-obsessions such as attacking people, while Turkish patients had more bad outcome obsessions such as spreading germs. The study investigators hypothesized that this was due to an individualistic view of agency in Belgium compared to the shared model of agency in Turkey. And if our environment can impact how OCD manifests, it's no surprise that the COVID-19 pandemic sparked a lot of new research into OCD and the burden of COVID-19. In this new world where fears of infection are at an all-time high, and enhanced hygiene recommendations are around every corner, what did the research find? One study conducted an online survey across OCD-specific forums and websites that found that over 70% of respondents reported a worsening of their symptoms following the pandemic especially those linked to contamination and bringing harm to other people. Another study based on survey responses also reported similar findings where washer-type OCD patients reported greater worsening of symptoms compared to non-washers. I can imagine that there would be some people who were already predisposed to develop obsessive-compulsive disorder, and the culture of, the culture of COVID now 
has just been where that OCD has kind of planted itself in their life, right? And maybe how OCD is showing itself in their life that it's just kind of attached itself to COVID. So I could imagine that that might be the case for some people who are already predisposed to have difficulties, um, difficulties around, around OCD, especially when it comes to kind of germs, dirt, contamination, cleanliness, uh, that idea about the, you know, the inflated sense of responsibility, being sure that you're not spreading stuff, that you're not contaminating other people. That, that's something that a lot of people miss. Like I think a lot of people understand the OCD where a person is afraid of getting contaminated themselves, that they don't want to get, they don't want to get a germ themselves because they might get sick. But I'll tell you, in my experience, just as commonly is a fear that you're going to spread contamination to other people, right? Which is, uh, which is a terrifying thought for, for people with obsessive compulsive disorder at the best of times. And then you put COVID on top of that, right? Where there really is that risk. And we're certainly given that message every day, like, oh, don't spread to other people. It just makes it, you know, a hundred times worse, worse for those people. It does make it tricky too, because now there's the whole question of, well, where do we draw that line? Like what, you know, kind of as a, as, as a clinician, what do I say now is excessive, right? Our experts in health and our politicians are telling us that no amount of cleaning is enough, right? That, there's, that there should be no limit to how clean you can be. And there should be no limit to what, what precautions you might take. And here's the tricky thing is that maybe when it comes to COVID, like that might be true or might be partly true, Needless to say, for OCD patients, the pandemic has been a difficult and confusing experience. As of now, OCD patients are being recommended to adhere to evidence-based cleaning guidelines such as those from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and continue to limit excessive hand washing and cleaning beyond the guidelines, although this is easier said than done. Even for those who don't have OCD themes of contamination and washing, the overall impact of the pandemic on their mental health has exacerbated their illness and caused people to come out of remission. You know, when the pandemic started, I, kind of, I had a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts about this. Um, and I've had some patients kind of echo what I've thought as well. And one of the main things that I've thought, and I've had OCD patients of mine echo it, they've said it is really weird now to see so many people behaving, in quotations, in an OCD way right? And some patients find it really troubling to see that actually for, for whatever reason. I, I know I have one patient who says when she goes to the grocery store now and she sees people kind of sanitizing the carts and wearing gloves and wearing masks and doing all the hand-washing stuff, which is something she's done for decades. And now she sees everybody doing it. She kind of feels sad. Like she feels really sad that this has happened, that now because she, she is so troubled and so distressed by her own OCD. I think she kind of knows, she has that empathy to know what that, what that feels like. And she's just sad to see it kind of come down to this for so many people. I'll tell you, a lot, so much of my conversation these days, conversation these days with my patients, because I look after lots of people with OCD who worry specifically about germs, dirt, contamination, spreading stuff. And one of the main elements of round OCD is something that we call inflated sense of responsibility. So this idea that not only are you responsible for yourself, but in fact, you're responsible for everybody else. And if you can do something to help other people, or if you can do something that might prevent somebody else from being harmed, then it's your responsibility to do whatever it is that needs to be done to make that happen. And that is kind of the message we're being given around COVID as well, right? 
And the problem is that if you have an OCD brain, it takes that to the next level. And you can imagine that, you know, you, you just can't sustain that forever. You can't sustain forever this idea that not only am I responsible for myself, but I'm actually 100% responsible for everybody else around me at all times. Um, so that's, you know, that's a problem as well with people with OCD, because they've kind of taken that message about inflated responsibility to the next level as well. So then how can we help people with OCD? What sorts of treatment options are available for them and how well do they work? In the second half of this two-part series on OCD, we'll be answering all these questions and more as we dive into how people overcome their obsessions and their compulsions. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please consider giving us a rating or review and subscribing to our show. You can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter at hashtag healthpodcast or like us on Facebook. This episode was written by me, your host, Patrick Kim, and produced and edited by Hugh Kim. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.